you saw the difference between a man and a boy at the quarterback position. <laughs> Let's not have any doubts about that. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. It's a business end of the season and maybe the seven seats haven't quite justified themselves. <laughs> Those wild cards weren't quite wild enough. <laughs> <laughs> or too wild. What is it too? So, hey, we've got uh, Connor here, we've got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? House tricks? How's all down in Cork? Grand, yeah. Apparently, we're not having the the cold snap that you seem to be having up in Dublin, which is good. It's just kind of yeah. wet and stuff here. I'm I'm currently mm. wearing my Kansas City um like a uh, thinsulate thick hat for being outdoors because I'm just like it's chilly enough and our heating isn't on yet. So uh, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty fresh in Dublin at the moment. Yeah, our cat who doesn't really like winter is was out a lot today, so I think it's that's usually the sign that that it's it's a good day or. A, not a terrible day. So is, is your cat kind of like the cork version of the groundhog? Oh, yeah. We can, we can map the seasons by what she does. It's got like a cat bed that she only uses during the winter time and stuff. And it's like, you know, when she's in the cat bed, that winters are coming. <laughs> uh, and stuff like, <laughs> stuff like that. Good. So, yeah, she she keeps us keeps us aligned with the with the cycle of the seasons. Yeah, Very definitely. cool. Very cool. Uh, what about yourself, Ronan? How's all with you? Ah, not too much, just uh, tipping away at work, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, with uh, the numbers going the way they are with COVID, hopefully uh, you know, more options will be available to the Irish uh, society sooner rather than later. Yes, obviously, as you're alluding to the fact that we are expecting to hear reduced restrictions on uh, events and bars and uh, hospitality uh, coming out of the, the in- government at the end of this week. Uh, fingers crossed, because that would mean that we might have options coming up to the Super Bowl as well, which would be, uh, which would be good fun. Um, yeah, similar, not too much here. A couple of bits of work around the house. Uh, wrapping up, I'm changing jobs at the end of the month, so uh, doing some handover stuff. Very exciting. And obviously watching some uh, top-rate football and some really shitty football as well this weekend. <laughs> it, was a, it was a very mixed bag. Um, so we'll fly into some of the news bits. It's not as much news as the normally at this time of year, which is surprising uh so obviously the coaching carousel there's been a couple of more changes since we last uh spoke so we discussed being amazed that joe judge was going to keep his job he didn't in the end up they decided to get rid of him they did take a very long time to make this decision and apparently sat down with him for two days uh management did to discuss how he was planning to turn things around and they decided they didn't like his answer so got rid of him uh houston fired head coach dave Colley. uh in but i can only say it just seems to be an incredibly cynical and bullshitty way to treat staff and uh, Vegas have uh, fired GM Mike Mayock who will not be returning next year they've not made a decision on uh, their head coach Bisaccia but they have uh, requested interviews with a number of people for the GM and the head coaching position so we know that he's not definitely their guy yet um I think Cully, for me, was probably the... I, I say the most surprising. He's the least deserving of being fired, I think. Because <laughs> um, I think he was given he was given a dumpster fire of a team, managed to get some performances out of them, a couple of surprising wins. Um, I think he did everything that they could have hoped out of him. Uh, and realistically, this is just proof that Houston never intended to keep him, that this was just to kind of 
tied him over until they could get who they were after. Um, even the fact that apparently they didn't guarantee his full contract like would be the standard for head coaches. They only guaranteed two years or something. Um, so I think that was quite unfair and reflects very badly on the Houston Texans, which presumably would, at least if I was going up from these jobs, impact my desire to want to go there and coach for them and take a job, seeing how they treated previous head coaches like this. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, he won four games, which is four games more than we expected him to, with a, yeah. a roster built from confetti and bits of old veterans, and uh, you know, a third round rookie QB. I mean, it was it was a pretty good job doing what he managed to do in that context. But I think we were we I think in the, even in the season previews we were saying that this guy's guaranteed to lose his job because of just how toxic it is. Um, in terms of the, the workplace environment and all that's gone on the past few years. So, I mean, it's it's a job that it's not going to attract anyone good. I think the problem the Texans are in now is it's a spiral, right? You're only going to get people like David Cully, people who are otherwise untested or can't get the, the better jobs and are trying to prove themselves. And that's just a lottery. I mean, you're just as likely to get uh, someone who can't do much with this team as you are to find, you know, the next Sean McVay or one of the next unexpected superstar mm. coach. So, um, yeah, this is... The Texans is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I think there's a lot of big changes need to happen before that organization gets anywhere. And firing, you know, a random rookie head coach isn't going to change much for the Texans, if you ask me. Well, you know, keep in mind that Nick Casario, the GM, is from the New England organization, and there's a lot of spare New England coaches lying around these days <laughs> after getting fired. I think the most intriguing example is actually obviously the most recently fired Brian Flores, who. Um, very much conflicting reports on this, but some reports indicated that Deshaun Watson was interested in going to Miami, in part because Brian Flores is coached there. If Brian Flores comes into Houston, does Deshaun Watson come back into play for that team as well? Um, that's an unlikely scenario, but it's one to keep an eye on. As for these other ones, like, look, Joe Judge, we talked about it. He is terrible and seems to be from the worst annals of the Bill Belichick type uh, coach, speaking of that. Um, just, you know, rah, rah, you know, training people hard, making them play hard. And, yeah, the, the, the kind of dictum that, like, you know, Bill Belichick isn't the greatest coach of all time because he's the asshole. He's the greatest coach of all time because he's a football genius. And Joe Judge was not a football genius uh, by any accounts. And, look, Mike Mayock... <laughs> This is definitely deserved, like his first draft uh, in the first. He's had five first rounders in his first two years. He got Cleland Farrell, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram, Henry Ruggs and uh, Damon Arnett. You know, 2020, both of those are now off the team because of their character issues. Cleland Farrell was a top five pick who basically has eight sacks his entire career so far. Josh Jacobs, okay, he's okay. And Jonathan Ader, like fine at times but generally a limited player he had a couple of hits with like Max Crosby and Foster Moreau in the later round or sorry and Hunter Renfro in the later rounds but overall if you waste five first yeah. round picks you're going to get the can especially because you're obviously intrinsically associated with the John Gruden era which I think they will probably want to move beyond like Pisaccia obviously lots of people are saying he's earned the job but I think a clean break would make more sense to their organization to be perfectly frank yeah um like I said, this adds to quite a large amount of available head coaching jobs. Uh, Vegas, Jacksonville, Denver, Chicago, Minnesota, Miami, Giants, Houston. Um, so there's going to be a lot of movement. Uh, and this is the thing. I do think because there's going to be so much movement that 
things like Houston's treatment of Cully is going to play into who they can attract. I have heard that rumor as well about the uh, about the Flores, but um, yeah, we'll we'll see what comes of it. Obviously, this will be there's plenty of uh, positions open, so it'll be plenty of uh, coverage over the off season. And well, that's it. We'll probably have a few of these decided by the time we hit round to the Super Bowl. Let's have a look at a couple of injuries from around the league then this week. Um, we'll go playoff relevant. Uh, basically, the non-playoff ones, a lot of them would just be someone stubbed his toe when he wasn't playing football because his team isn't good <laughs> enough. Um, San Francisco defensive end Nick Bosa has a concussion. He's uncertain for the divisional round. This happened obviously when, earlier on in the game when he came out. Um, I believe he ended up going headfirst into his teammates arse while coming around the edge on a sack attempt uh, Cincinnati defensive end Trey Henderson has a concussion he's uncertain for the wildcard round and Larry Ogunjobi their defensive tackle has injured his foot and is gone for the season and for Tampa Bay their offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs has injured his ankle and is now uncertain for the divisional round and this has been flagged by a couple of commentators online if you wanted to find something to support um, Antonio Brown's accusations about the about the Bucks trying to get you to play injured I believe they basically threw Tristan Wirfs Tristan Wirfs back into the lineup when he could barely feckin' walk uh, and then we're like actually no we should probably take him out again uh, to, to be fair like I think that was based on Tristan Wirfs really wanting to go back in and Ryan Jensen the centre who did go back in and play through it like it didn't seem like a case where they're like throwing him out there for the crack it seemed like he was pushing for it whereas Antonio Brown uh he was less certain, obviously, about going back in, considering what he did afterwards. Like, you oh, know, yeah. like, like you know, thinking about the Antonio Brown thing, he's like, I'm not getting played enough. And then he's told, get, get out there. And he's like, fuck you. It's like, not necessarily the most logical sequence of thoughts. But, uh, <laughs> it's Antonio Brown. But yeah, so these, these are a couple of big injuries to very kind of important position for the San Francisco mm. heavily relied on that defense and Nick Bosa is a big contributor Cincinnati that's their defensive line who have been able to do a surprisingly good job for not having as many big name players on it and Tampa Bay look say what you want about Worf's performance so far this year that's a starting offensive lineman on a on a on, a, on an offense that's already missing most of its weapons and already on backup running backs and things like that like you can't be missing tackles particularly who their matchup is going to be throwing them up against this week so who do we see being the biggest impact out of these or do we think some of these guys will be back i mean i for me personally i think the loss of bosa is is huge i mean, in combined with the fact that if you want the, we can get over this in the reviews but in the Cowboys game, when he was in, and Fred Warner, who's their other big defensive star, who also got injured and has an ankle injury that I not 100%, but he seems like likely to play. When they were both in, they were dominating the Cowboys' offense, which is supposedly, you know, at least top five, if not the best offense in the league. When both of them gone, the whole thing fell apart. I mean, I think the 49ers, if they want to, in terms of playing the Packers, which are obviously a, a very scary offense, that they're going to need both of those guys, and ideally to have them at 100%, and to have potentially at least one of them out and the other one maybe not 100% is I think really damages their ability to get through because then you rely on your offense and, and that team with the Niners is, is a bit of trouble. So for me, that's the one that stands out as being that could be the one that actually affects the game in terms of if Bosa and Warner were in and healthy, I'd actually give them a very good chance of beating the Packers. Um, I may be alone in that, but but I, I was very impressed with what they were doing as Cowboys for the, the time they were in there. Yeah, like these are all impactful injuries, of course. Uh... I think for Cincinnati, I, I would be a bit concerned, as you said, about the defensive line not really getting to the quarterback as quick. I think Trey Henderson obviously has been a really good pickup for them, and Ogunjobi has been pretty solid as well. So, look, if they miss out on Hendrickson, they're definitely very thin at that defensive end position. Um, will definitely give up more scores. But, uh, yeah, I think they can they can survive. It's obviously a team that's driven by the offense generally. And Tristan Wirfs, like, look, uh, I think... 
any offensive lineman for someone like Tom Brady is huge because obviously uh, so much of that offense is based around being perfect to some extent and anything that leads to pressure on him like less than three seconds could be a huge issue and yeah if you put in like a, a makeshift left tackle um, then you're going to be in trouble because of that. Yeah and uh, as we were talking in the previews I think who they're going up against is going to play into that if the if Wirfs does miss it. Uh, with that we'll move on and look at the games from last week. So, super wild card weekend. Uh, I hate the branding. <laughs> I absolutely hate the branding. And uh, super. I don't really get the the, uh, the, the the playing the game on Monday either, apart from obviously the, the ad revenue. I did enjoy the Nickelodeon coverage of the um, of the San Francisco-Dallas game. I was just watching little <laughs> clips of it throughout. Uh, particularly the, the, um, the field goals and extra points being decided by a SpongeBob SquarePants between the goalposts, which is pretty good. Uh, we'll start off with the Vegas at Cincinnati game, 19-26. to 26. Uh, Burrow looked pretty decent in this, 244 and two touchdowns, but none of the kind of big splash pizzazz of the last two or three weeks. Um, but this ends a 31-year playoff drought for the Cincinnati Bengals. So uh, they went to his main target, Chase, for 116. Kind of pretty good performance against... a. You know, a, a, a Las Vegas team that gave it a proper attempt on it, like gave, really went for it. Cincinnati lent on the defense. They had to get a fumble interception and three sacks and four field goals uh, to try and win this game. Carr had 310, a touchdown interception and a fumble. An awful lot of kind of uh, pretty much your classic Carr performance. Of, there was moments that looked very big and then there was also just huge mistakes that he shouldn't have been making. Um yeah, like he threw the game-ending interception, but realistically, you're trying to push your way into into winning at that point. So that'll happen. They were quite poor in the red zone, one of five, and uh, yeah, like it just it just didn't look great. The one thing that's going to hang over this game, pretty much the whole way, is just how badly it was refed and how refed it was refed. So there was a million penalties it felt like throughout it. There was the the Cincinnati touchdown that a whistle blew the play dead and the the referees actually admitted afterwards, um, actually yeah that probably shouldn't have counted given what the actual rules are in that type of situation. Um, but yeah it was it was it was a messy game. Vegas played a little bit closer than I thought they would. Cincinnati didn't play as well as I was hoping to see them play. Um, and I'm not sure whether that was some psychological thing about it being the, uh, being the first, uh, playoff win in 30 odd years. Cause we saw, we saw their, their, their coach going bar to bar later on that night, uh, giving out game balls and giving speeches to rooms full of drunk people about how it ends a drought. It ends a curse and there'll be plenty more, playoff victory game balls to come which is just a really weird thing to do like surely go be with your friends or your family or your team don't just go bar to bar giving out balls but um great to see them win pretty impressive uh what did we think about either side really um well i I felt i mean i think to the the interpretation of why it was close i mean i've always been a little bit more up on the raiders as a team this season than you guys have i thought the raiders played as well as, as, you know, I would expect them to. And as a result, they were, they're a bit closer to the Bengals and people maybe give them credit for because of how explosive the Bengals are offensively. I mean, I think that this came down to, I mean, the refs on one hand did kind of ruin it. And I mean, those penalties did cost the, the Raiders, especially the second half, they're, they're basically penalties killed any kind of momentum um, uh, uh, in terms of trying to get going offensively and, and such like. So they were always up against that, but they were up, up against against their own weaknesses as well. The secondary, 
defensively, especially in the red zone, has been a weakness all season. That was exposed. Um, Alex Leatherwood on on the offensive line is he's I mean he's probably quite close to being cut if he wasn't a kind of a first round draft pick. Um, there was just weaknesses in terms of the personnel. I think more than anything else that overcame the fact that say for example. Josh Jacobs had a good game. Zay Jones had a decent game. Derek Carr did have some good moments. He had a two-minute drill that was very nice. Um, so I think the Raiders were battling against their own deficiencies in terms of their personnel and battling against the refs, and ultimately that wasn't enough. In terms of Cincinnati, I mean, I was impressed most of all, I think, by the offensive line. I, I, I mean, they had a big job of keeping Max Crosby quiet. He's, he's basically the entirety of the Raiders' defense in terms of explosiveness and, and creating chaos. And then they managed to design plays to kind of keep away from him and... and Burrow, anytime he ran, tended to run the other direction and stuff like that. There, there was a lot of thinking in terms of that. And then just to let the Burrow chase thing do its thing and, and to get the points necessary. I mean, I'm not convinced they're the best coach team in the world. And certainly I think Zach Taylor's deficiencies as a coach will become more obvious the deeper into the playoffs that they go. But they were the better team on paper and they just about showed that they were. Now, had it been refed properly... Who's to tell what would have happened? But I think they did deserve it based on what they did. Uh, and the Raiders, I mean, they, you know, for a season that I've talked about has been an absolute mess. They, they did themselves justice and they can hold their heads high and say, we played well in a playoff game and we probably had a decent chance of winning it had things gone our way. Yeah, and I think the, the situation, the history, the moment did matter for the Bengals. Obviously, they're at home and they have such a recent, relatively recent heartbreak of all those losses uh, under the Andy Dalton Cincinnati Bengals uh, and a long history of just being shit before that as well and missed opportunities like Carson Palmer. So there's just so much history for that team of sucking or being unlucky and just heartbreaking that playoffs that I think Zach Taylor knew that and he played appropriately. I think they saw that the Vegas Raiders on a talent level aren't the same level of team as the Kansas Cities or even a team like Baltimore where obviously there's divisional rivalry going on. I think they were like, okay, we need to control this game, keep everything in front of us and don't give them an opportunity to win the game. Now, like to be fair, this game did come down to like a two-minute drive at the end where Derek Carr was very close to getting them the score that would have tied this up. And so you could definitely criticize that, but I can completely understand going that way. I can completely understand being a bit more conservative, hitting those field goals because you have a field goal kicker that you can trust in McPherson and you know just letting things fall that way and allowing your defense to make a couple of splash plays a couple of turnovers that ended up being critical even if you don't fully capitalize on them I think the things that worked for Cincinnati were still working when they needed to go there I think whenever Chase was in one-on-one coverage he seemed to dominate his man he feels like that kind of Randy Moss Calvin Johnson guy that if he ever gets one-on-one um, there's no way that you shouldn't throw it up and Joe Burrow is uh, no matter how unopened he might look Joe Burrow is always going to throw it to him and let him and trust his guy who's been with him for so many years at this point uh, through college now up at the NFL. And the other aspects worked. Like the defense was solid, the run game was solid, and I think, you know, we've seen against Kansas City that this team can be way more explosive, way more aggressive when it needs to be, but they chose not to be here, and I completely respect that decision and I think yeah if you're both right in terms of Vegas like they're a solid team you know they have a nucleus of a a, a team that could be something interesting but personally speaking when I look at the pieces here when I look at Derek Carr uh, and Josh Jacobs and all these other pieces I don't see like the nucleus of like a Super Bowl contender I see like I see a team that gets knocked out in the wild card going forward so you know in, in, in relation to the Mike Mayock firing and the Passaccia decision this is a team that while you know, you probably could get some decent results at them in future years by keeping this core together. 
I would personally err towards that this, is, this isn't going to go to where you need it to be um, to, to win at all. So perhaps it would make more sense to kind of be more aggressive in this offseason. But uh, some big decisions for the Raiders coming up ahead. We'll see what they end up doing. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the, I'd say the decision on the coach will definitely directly impact the future of Derek Carr uh, with the organization as well. Um, but we'll see. Moving on, next up, uh, New England at Buffalo. Ooh. 17 to 47. This was a very, very one-sided affair. Allen went for 308 yards and five touchdowns, as well as 66 on the ground. They had a perfect offensive game. They had seven consecutive touchdown drives, no punts, no kicks. Um, apart from they obviously knelt on the tail end of it. Uh, but yeah, their running game kind of got going. Singletary 16 for 81 and two touchdowns was fine, but they didn't have to rely on it all that much. Um, yeah, like, and their defense was all over the shop. This is, I think we flagged it coming into the game, like, the risk was Mac was starting to be exposed for the rookie that he is and the fact that there are things you can do to disrupt. The defense had two interceptions, three sacks, and three tackles for a loss. Mac was held to 232 yards and two touchdowns, a lot of that late where it didn't really matter that much in two interceptions. Um, they were just frozen out entirely. Like, there was just, there was no competition. This was... Particularly, not particularly when you're talking about a Bill Belichick coach team that has a strong defense, they were absolutely shredded in this game, and it was a rarity to see. Um, no turnovers, no sacks, no tackles for loss. I think the I think the around the NFL guys called that a ghosting uh, or something along those lines. But um, <laughs> yeah, like this is this is this is a a, a defense first team with a strong run game that came in and got nothing out of its defense. Uh, and I'm finding it hard to analyze this game because this is an incredible performance from Buffalo, particularly against what, in theory, is a very good defense in New England. But watching back on the highlights, it just—it was very hard to gauge how good Buffalo was and how bad New England were in it because it just seemed like it shouldn't be this easy against a Bill Belichick defense. It shouldn't be, but... You know, I definitely feel that after that, uh, you know, big loss in the middle of the season to New England, that the entire Bills organization has been steaming since then. They, they kind of get a bit soft against Tampa Bay early in that game. But in, uh, since the second half of that Tampa Bay game, every week it feels like this team has been building up steam. It's been building up momentum. And then this is the culmination. I said last week that I didn't think this game was just important on its own terms, but in terms of setting the table for where these two teams will be going forward, as they are likely the two who will compete for the division uh, at least next year. And the Buffalo Bills laid down a fucking marker and a half here. They (laughs) absolutely wiped the floor with the Patriots and have probably inserted a huge amount of doubts into the, certainly the fan base of the New England Patriots, but certainly into the entire organization because you saw the difference between a man and a boy at the quarterback position. (laughs) Let's not have any doubts about that. We saw that Josh Allen, when he is playing at the top of his game, is an unstoppable force and he has been building towards this and he's finally had um had finally had the performance which proves why he should be considered among the most dangerous weapons in the nfl um and you know he did that 
basically in all aspects of the game. When he got the 66 yards rushing, he's incredibly explosive there. He adds so much doubt to defences, and particularly a team like New England, which loves to play man coverage. It's just impossible to do that with Josh Allen, because if you turn your back at him, he's going to run and take a 20-yard gain on you. And that's if he doesn't beat you on a crossing route, uh, because you know his guys are somewhat... Because he has the arm talent to like to basically get into that small window that exists in those types of routes against man coverage, and they're so effective. But you go into zone, you try and beat him that way. He's more than happy to slice and dice you when needed, but he's also happy to blow it up to his big guy, Stefan Diggs, when he needs to. And this guy, he just couldn't do anything wrong in this game. Like, literally the first touchdown he said afterwards to Dawson Knox, he was throwing the ball away. The man just can't stop throwing touchdowns, even when he's not meaning to score a court touchdown. Yeah, that was a pretty funny game. one, yeah. <laughs> Where he just so got like confused this, by why everyone was yeah. cheering because he wasn't actually intending to score. Yeah, so like he just had a dominant game, and if he plays like this uh, in you know in the rest of the playoffs for however long that happens to be, it's really hard not to like this team. And obviously, I had them as like a Super Bowl, like a team to make the Super Bowl from the AFC. And with this defense uh, also getting on track in recent weeks, kind of getting back to where it was early in the season, where it looked like the best defense in the league, getting those turnovers, getting those sacks, getting those tackles for a loss. It's just a team that. Yeah, based on this, based on what we've seen in recent weeks, could be peaking just at the right time to make a very, very deep playoff run and perhaps take it on. Like New England, I'll let Sean talk about that more, but like you saw on Mac Jones, what the difference is. Josh Allen is such a talented freak of a player with the arm talent, his ability to run and run over guys. You look at Mac Jones, a guy who obviously comes from a more traditional pocket passer lineage, and you know, you kind of go like, Josh Allen can learn to be as good at football uh, as Mac Jones, but Mac Jones can never become Josh Allen. So in terms of this division for future years ahead, that's something you definitely have to be worried about if you're like, how do we solve this division and win this division going forward um, if mm. you're New England Patriots? I mean, I, 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 I would challenge that a little bit. I don't think Mac Jones, they want him to be Josh Allen. What they want Mac Jones to be is Tom Brady. Which is, I mean, it's an it's an entirely different mountain to climb, an entirely different game plan. I mean, I I, I want to say that I mean I, I know I'm supposed to come on here and say that this was humiliating and and the Pats need to go back to square one and start all over again, but I don't think so. As I said last week, this feels like a wild card team at best, a team that for the middle of the season over over overstretched their ability uh, and looked way more impressive than they were. It's, it's very much the first year of of a very of a rebuilding program built on both sides of the ball around Mac on the offense and around the new defensive pieces defensively. And I think they came up short against what is a very good team. And I don't think there's any shame in that. I mean, the, the, the size of the defeat can will probably hurt the fact that the defense just didn't execute whatsoever. We'll have some questions and obviously Belichick will never be happy with, with a, a team that loses. But I mean, I, I would say this was more the fact that the build played very well and had a very clear, game plan than the Pats necessarily, you know, embarrassed themselves in a great way. I think you have to credit the Bills and, and their coaching staff. I mean, two or three, two out of three games between the Bills and Pats this season, the Bills have played the, their best performances. Like the two best performances I've seen out of the Bills from this season have been the two wins um, over the Pats. They've come with a with a game plan. They've unleashed Allen. They've even got the, the non-Josh Allen run game going, which you know you know they've been dominant when that starts to to go well. So, I mean, I think they, they had a plan and they stuck to it and they just unleashed Josh Allen when it was necessary. And defensively, they did a lot of important things as well. Matt Milano was, was you know, creating havoc. Um, Micah Hyde had an incredibly impressive interception catch that I think was probably the most important play of the game because had he not made that catch and had the Pats scored, you know, it's about keeping pace. This Pats team isn't built to chase games in this current 
inclination. It's, it's built to run the ball and control the clock and then allow its defense to kind of control that side of it. And once they got down two scores, suddenly the game plan goes out the window and it all unraveled very quickly. So if Mike Hyde doesn't make, doesn't make that interception, I think we have a very different game. But because he did, it opened up the ability um, for the Bills to kind of run away with it. Uh, and ultimately, you can you can say that certain things didn't go well for the Pats. I mean, I think the wide receivers dropped more passes in this game than I've seen in a very long time. Um, and that's just an execution thing. If the weather kind of hurt them, execution as well on the defensive side, they just couldn't stop them. It's kind of been happening for a few weeks. They kind of this defense kind of dropped off where it wasn't. It kind of in around week twelve, week thirteen. I think they've been figured out a little bit. And it was also individual failures of execution. J.C. Jackson, who's obviously a very big part of the secondary, was just a very disappointing game. He was kind of one on one with Diggs an awful lot. And Diggs hasn't had the best season by Stefan Diggs' standards, but he was utterly dominated here. Jackson lost that battle comprehensively, and that is down to the player himself just not performing at the level. So I think there was just a number of things that came together here. The fact that the Bills had figured out the paths to a certain extent and knew how to, you know, exploit their weaknesses and maximize their 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 kind of their advantages over them. The paths just didn't execute in terms of individually, but I also just think they are a bit more of a limited team than perhaps they looked when they when they beat the Titans, whenever that was, week I think week thirteen, week fourteen. That was I think that was a false view of what this Pats team was. I mean, you have to think about the comparison between say week six when they were two and four and looking like the season wasn't going anywhere and struggling to beat anybody who wasn't the Jets or the Texans, to being in a position where they were almost in line to be number one seed in the AFC is a credit to them, but ultimately I think they overstretched themselves and got beaten by what is a very good team that, as Roland said, is peaking at just the right time. This hasn't been a great season for the Bills so far, but it's really coming together on both sides of the ball now, and they're going to be very tough to stop. Josh Allen is playing the best football of his <clears> entire <throat> life, um, and if he keeps it going for another two or three weeks, I honestly think the Bills could win it all because uh, they're the most balanced team and most explosive on both sides of the ball at the moment in either conference. Yeah, pretty impressive overall from the Bills to be honest and uh, New England don't go freaking out like you got a rookie quarterback you got to the playoffs and you can just build from there so I think you'll be fine uh, next up oh god yes Philadelphia Tampa Bay I had to turn this one off at one point uh, 15 to 31 Tampa Bay were just absolutely dominant throughout this game very one-sided this was 31 to 0 entering the fourth quarter um, Brady was not as impressed 271 and two touchdowns like kind of they had a couple of issues with the early wide receivers but just started hitting Evans Evans went over 100 and got a touchdown and this Philadelphia defense, let's be honest, Philadelphia's defense weren't ever going to be the thing that was going to win them this game, but it was particularly shite in this. There was just no stopping anything at all. Uh, Hertz did just looked overmatched, 258 yards and a touchdown, but he also threw two interceptions and only got 40 on the ground. Uh, there was not a huge amount of, like rushing for him you can see as soon as the game was finished that he was walking off in a boot and he admitted that his leg injury has actually just been ongoing and and, and worse than they were letting on up to this point um and the rush game just didn't do anything they didn't really run very much and i get that the game script kind of probably pulled some of that off but that was where they were getting success um they also like like literally nothing could help them because their offense had to lose their game script go away from the run and then Hertz was injured so it wasn't really going to do anything their defense was never doing shit and their special teams just made a complete balls of it giving up a muff punt that then essentially well essentially gave away a touchdown like it was terrible that was Jalen Rager I think who was on the return on that like never let 
let that man go back and return. He nearly spilled again. a couple other ones as well. Yeah, <laughs> he's just he's constantly fucking up. Just like just maybe give up on the Jalen Rager experiment at this point. I know was he a second round draft pick or something or he was a first rounder. First like, rounder, they, Jesus! Yeah. Like he was bad enough that they drafted another first rounder this year. So, yeah, wide receiver. So it's kind of like yeah, it's, they, it's, they've, it's they've already they're already basically there. But I think yeah, first round yeah. you don't cut them for a couple of years. Yeah. No, but um, but yeah, look, this was terrible from Philly again, an indictment of the having the seventh seed uh unfortunately but like look these 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 things are always eternally going to happen um Tampa Bay looking very dominant uh but like a good balance on the defense decent offense but like at no point like terrifying the explosive but I suppose it's 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 a reflection of the quality of the opposition they were playing that like they were handling Philadelphia easily so they didn't need to really be doing anything too jaw-dropping I don't think yeah, this this wasn't a playoff game, right? This this no. is a good example of why you shouldn't have seven seeds because a seven seed is often just not a playoff caliber team. Like there's just you run this game a hundred times and it's hard to see the Eagles winning any single one of them. And even though, for example, the Bills blew out the Pats, you felt that if you played it a hundred times, the Pats would win maybe you know twenty five to thirty percent of the time. Whereas this, that the Eagles just never had a chance. They were just completely out of their depth, and they never really. They never really knew how to win this game. They they're basically they're because their offense is so run heavy and they were facing the basically the best run defense in the game. They they had to win that battle. They had to win the battle of the offensive versus defensive lines. They had to find a way to get the running game established early. And once they didn't, once the, the Buccaneers their defensive line crushed the, the Philly off- offensive line. Once they got, they killed the the running game going for the Eagles. Eagles had literally nothing else. Right? They they don't have a passing game that can compensate for, for what happens in, when the running game isn't working. And so they just had no answers and they were just completely out of this game. Once their one thing stopped working, the Eagles were done. Uh, and anytime they did kind of get going in the second half, um, in terms of offensive momentum, the penal- penalties just killed them all the way down. They ha- always had penalties at the wrong time and they just never um, could get going. So even though the scoreline, it's, it's only a two-score game, this was never competitive at any point um, whatsoever. Um, for the for the books, I mean, there are perhaps some questions that need to be asked further down. I don't think this these are the this is the game where these questions can be asked. I mean, I think they, they've established that their defense is... You know, elite, especially on the run on the running side, and it's going to be tough to stop. They established that they can replace people like Fournette and Bernard, and plus Vaughn was kind of combined was a kind of a good substitute for for Fournette not being there. But they are wary to the thing we've been warning about all season is that they don't have any depth. And now that the problem isn't necessarily their secondary, which has been their problem for a lot of the season, it's the O line. Their O line injuries, if they keep piling up the way they are, could could get harder in the playoffs because once people once defenses can start to get at this O-line and therefore start to get at Tom Brady with pressure, I mean, we know that this is when the, the Brady thing, the game changes for him. He's not a guy who can run away from, from plays. He's not a guy who, who can who can scramble his way to safety very often. So you'd be worried about the Bucks in terms of their, their depth, especially in the offensive line if they can't keep it up. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, nothing else to really learn from this game other than the Bucks are a lot better team than the Eagles. But we knew that coming yeah. into this game. And so I don't really see what the point of it was. And once again, it's it's just a, a money-grabbing thing that hasn't worked. There are basically six good teams in each conference every year on average. 
trying to push it to seven. I mean, we've done now, this is the, obviously from this year and last year, there have been four number seven seeds and three of them, the Bears last year and the two this year have been completely uncompetitive in the games that they played. And I really think they need to start considering whether or not to keep this experiment going. Now, they won't undo it because, you know, whatever, they think it's good for, for ratings or whatever, but this was just not a playoff caliber game uh, and should not be considered as such. Not to be too pessimistic, Sean, but it's much more like you'll have an eighth seed before they get rid of the seventh seed. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, I don't know what they're going to call it, the super duper wildcard weekend or something. They've really, well, they really pinned themselves into a corner with this super wildcard weekend. Everyone gets to play. Uh, the number one seed wouldn't even mean anything at that point, which would be probably bad overall, to be honest. So it's a bit of a, a, bit of a corner they've kind of drawn themselves into, maybe. Um, otherwise, maybe the top two seeds go in again. But look, look. Let's talk about the game, since I suppose that did happen technically. Um, like, I think, like, Sean's covered mostly what's really there. Like, we know they had a plan, run the ball, and it was enough to beat a back half of the schedule that was very, very weak. I don't think they beat anyone with a winning record in the back half. It's like the best team to beat was, like, Denver or whatever was left over the New Orleans Saints. So, look, they got exposed here against an actual contender. And not too much to be expected beyond that, especially with Jalen Hurts uh, playing hurt, not being able to beat his dynamic in the run game. That just took away a huge aspect of their rush game diversity, which has been so important. And I'm getting to this spot in the first place. And their defense was very vanilla. And I know Tom Brady doesn't need eye cream, but he was more than willing to eat that vanilla all <laughs> night long. Um, and yeah, so I think for them, the biggest question is like, where do you go from here? Like Nick Sirianni, a first year coach, you make it to the playoffs, all good and well, but is Jalen Hurts the future of your team at the quarterback position? Um, they have a number of veterans kind of left over from the Super Bowl era, like the Super Bowl win. Who, where do you go with those? Uh, they have three first round picks. So there's a lot of interesting things, that directions that they could go. Yeah. I think I would probably go towards, hey, just pick you know, three solid guys in the trenches or the best player available go it hurts for one more year and then look at the quarterback position maybe going forward. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. like they just feel like unless something unless they hit some really big hitters next year next in the off season, they're likely a wild card team again at best next season. And as for Tampa Bay, like I think yeah, definitely con- like there's definitely chinks in the armor compared to where they were last year where they were getting better every, every week it felt like. Obviously the big injury to Tristan Wirfs, we'll see how much of an impact that has, but you could tell that the, the the Eagles were getting a lot more pressure once he went out early in this game. And you could also tell that Tom Brady was very frustrated, particularly early in this game with his wide receivers and his communications with Tyler Johnson and Cyril Grayson. Like he in this game he was able to just basically target Mike Evans whenever uh, the Eagles decided not to cover him with big play slay, uh, basically by moving him to the slot. Very easy plan. Um, and, you know, that's great against the Eagles, but when you go up against the better teams as they go forward, you probably will not be able to do that. And when they, if, if a team can take away Mike Evans and to a lesser extent Gronkowski, you would have very big concerns that Tom Brady won't get the performances he wants out of his, his wide receivers because this is an offense that is like clockwork. It need, everything one needs to be on the same page. Everything needs to work. He doesn't have like the ability to like get out of a big play uh, like uh, Pat Mahomes or, or uh, Josh Allen. When it works, it's brilliant, but just slight chinks, slight uh, thing, like, like kinks in the gears <coughs> that will definitely be more worrisome as they go forward in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, next up, San Francisco at Dallas, 23-17. to uh, I know. We're down and we need to get there. We've got almost no time left. Why don't, why don't we just have the quarterback run for a bit, slide onto the ground, let the clock run out? That'll, that'll work. Um, Dallas exits the playoff after a ginormous fucking mistake and also about 100 yards in flags against them. Um, Dak was not very good. 254 yards of touchdown interception. Uh, their rushing attack didn't do a huge amount either and their defense 
so so it was just 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 shit the bed at a home playoff game uh, as, as as I suppose I should have just predicted given that it's the Cowboys playing a home playoff game would do um, Jimmy G went 172 in an interception and they were fine uh, you know before a near implosion late but Debo was able to kind of do Debo things get over 100 yards and a touchdown the rush game went for 169 which is pretty much like I said if they were to draw this up they want to just do that and their defense really got the job done interception and five sacks to uh, to get here that said it still left them open at the end and if the all the Dallas fans are obviously very annoyed at the end series here because they say well we were there and we were ready to go and they knocked over our quarterback and they didn't set the ball right and they should have done X, Y, Z and you're like lads you did nothing on the ground you did nothing throughout the game you kept giving away first downs or near to first downs with endless endless encroachment penalties whenever you have them tied back at like third and six and all of a sudden it's third and one Um, like it just just very poor, sloppy, undisciplined stuff from Dallas uh, and San Francisco able to capitalize on it, but also not exactly setting setting the world on fire offensively. Their run game is good, and they've got very good blockers on that line. But like, you know, realistically, a semi competent coached version of this Dallas team should have been able to win this game. Um, yeah, it was it was shocking, and the thing is. I'd say it should cause question marks in Dallas over coaching and leadership and stuff, but it's the Dallas Cowboys. So, no, they're just going to pay Kellen Moore the same as they pay a head coach to stay as offensive coordinator until their big name hire in Mike McCarthy decides he wants to retire or does something that they can just point to and fire him for. Um, And obviously the Joneses aren't going anywhere. Uh, They're happy with the players they have. So, yeah, I don't really see Dallas moving on beyond this point even though this should have been a bit of a wake-up call yeah like you couldn't think of a more appropriately sloppy inexplicable way to lose the game uh with 14 seconds on the clock hey well we sorry 11 seconds on the clock let's do a qb draw play and the, the clock ran out boo how did this happen and you know then they started throwing things at the refs afterwards as if the refs were responsible for the linear nature of time <laughs> and if the refs were responsible for the absolute farce that is the dallas cowboys a team that has been living off its you know early successes and jerry jones in the 90s for well literally now nearly three decades and you know i think you know we saw that the reasons for this failure are structural they're in like they're systemic within the organization because i think you know we sometimes forget but the that that stadium is obviously such a massive cathedral and testament to the nature of football with the giant fucking tv and all that kind of shit but it's also incredibly poorly designed with the sun coming in from the uh, due to the east-west uh, orientation during the game and blinding um cowboys players on a couple of easily catchable plays and then the giant screen then was hit by the punter literally in this game maybe punters weren't as effective like 10 years ago but like to have a thing that ended up stopping a punt and having to have replayed just give you an indication that you know maybe it's not just that mike mccarthy is a bad coach though he is and that there's all these egos with two now guys uh you know looking to be head coaches uh, in the near future in dan quinn and obviously uh, the offensive coordinator or, or, or coordinator uh, kellen moore who obviously is the golden child um as well 
just a sense of melodrama and sh- like just lack of control just permeated everything that happened to them in this game. I think obviously the flags, as you said, were just a huge issue on both sides of the ball. But I think particularly on the offense, like they would have, like it felt like at least two or three drives that the Cowboys went, you know, one decent okay play like for three or four yards, flag, go back ten yards, Dak gets sacked twice in the face and punt the ball away. It just felt like too many drives that the Dallas Cowboys were ending in that particular sequence of like penalty plus sack or Dak gets hit and then throws an interception. Like it felt like Dak could have thrown three or four other interceptions, mostly because the San Francisco defensive line was way in his face, way too fast, even when when Bosa went out. Uh, but when Bosa was in, it was particularly bad. But even when he went out, it was still felt like Dak was under an intense amount of pressure until San Francisco inexplicably decided to soften up, it felt like a little bit towards the end of this game when they got a little bit more conservative and like Mike McCarthy just seemed to make a load of decisions like the only good decision they made was when they went for the fake punt and fourth down but besides <laughs> that every other play that they made just seemed to be designed to be failed and what and then it didn't seem to be designed well and then the execution was horrible and you know guys like CD Lamb who obviously were talking very pre-game about how we're going to dominate this like secondary of San Francisco because they're just a bunch of nobodies they didn't appear in this game like the top receiver for that that for them was uh, Dalton Schultz and he was really kind of the, these kind of underneath throws was what got them back into the game at all and like outside one touchdown to Amari Cooper the wide receivers made no dominant plays in this game um, and it was just it just I don't know what went wrong like there was an obvious weakness you have an obvious strength you fail to take advantage of it and it just feels like this team doesn't know what it's doing because it's a part of an organization which doesn't know what it's doing right now or going into the future or for the last 10 years and the only thing that really let them back into this game was that the san francisco 49ers tried to blow this game in so many ways in the fourth quarter starting with that inexplicable pick from jimmy g who had one near pick early on this game and he was fine for most of the game but Every time he like rolls out of the pocket and then tries to throw it over a guy, you're going, please don't do that, Jimmy G. You're not Josh Allen. You're not Russell Wilson. You're Jimmy G. Just sit in the pocket, look sexy, throw the in route uh, you know, across the middle of the field, and <laughs> don't try anything else. And then Shanahan, you know, not that he's any, he has, <laughs> he has any, uh, any track record of being too conservative in the fourth quarter of a game uh, where they're ahead and letting other teams back in, but you know, incredibly, incredibly uh, conservative in, this, in, the, in, the, in the final moments of this game. Two opportunities to go on a fourth and short and basically kill the game. He turned them both down, gave the ball back to Dallas, and you know, maybe if they hadn't been so stupid themselves, would have got away. So for Shanahan... Look, he's lucky that Mike McCarthy's on the other side and that team is such a mess because, yeah, there was a chance here they could have lost the game. But, hey, they got Devo Samuel, who's a stud. The rush game still looks good, which it always does under Shanahan. And their defense looked really good, even with Bosa out. Uh, but if Bosa and uh, Warner are healthy, they do look like a really good unit that could be a challenge for any offense in the league uh, in the rest of the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, the Dallas Cowboys just... So, so appropriate for them to go at that. And to be honest, America's team, it's never not fun times when they get knocked out in the way, in this <laughs> way. Um, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. The Cowboys an absolute disaster show of a franchise. And, I mean, everything that went wrong here is, is kind of an object lesson in what's wrong with the Dallas Cowboys from the an offense which flatters to deceive for a defense which is explosive but doesn't actually do enough of the, the normal things from a stadium that doesn't do what a stadium does to you know, to fucking up at the very end by just not understanding the rules of football. But, I mean, I think I'd like to maybe focus a bit more. I think we're a little bit harsh on the 49ers because I, I think 
this was an impressive win. This is a real no, like win the four, against... The 49ers were, re- were really good for the first three quarters. It's just that last quarter, they kind of went very Shanahan-y. Uh, like, don't want to say 28-3, to three, but the, that kind of area, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, no, I mean, it was, I think it, it was a demonstration of what a well-coached team can do for, for at least three and a half quarters. I mean, they had, the the offense was very kind of in control, they had a game plan, they controlled the clock well, they had a mix of run and pass, they had these, just obviously, the disguised plays that Shannon's well-known for with the, the Cowboys defense that never really knew if they were facing a run player or a pass player or whatever, and they could never get into the game, other than Micah Parsons, the Cowboys defense just looked all over the place. Um, defensively, the, the constant pressure on the Cowboys' offense to cause absolute chaos. Um, Bosa and Warner were kicking ass until the injuries, and when they went out, it suddenly turned the tide very quickly in terms of that. I mean, I think the Niners are, if they, as I said earlier, if they stay healthy, they are a dangerous team, provided Shannon, you know, coaches fourth quarter as well enough. But, I mean, there is... There's definitely a kernel of a very, you know, sneaky good team here that has kind of gone under the radar. They've won eight of their last ten now after a, a kind of a so-so start to the season, and they are looking dangerous. And, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to, to beat the Packers. Certainly that they look like they always come in with a clearly clearly conceptualized plan that does the most of what they, they can do with their personnel. I think they obviously have weaknesses in terms of... Uh, of Jimmy G is not the world's best quarterback, and and they're without with the big injuries to the big players. They're not the strongest defensive unit in the world. But people like Devo Samuel, Ayuk, George Kittle in this game proving that he can also be the block machine when necessary. That we don't he doesn't need to be the the passing tight end. He can be an old school blocking tight end. I mean, I think it all came together very well. And I I, mean, I do think the Cowboys for all of their problems. They are quite a good team, and they do when they get going, especially when this office gets going and builds momentum with quick plays. I mean, I think they're kind of very much an instinctive team in the same way the Cardinals were the first start of, se- start of season. We just let them play and let them do their things. When Dak kind of spots the long the long balls that can get in, in for touchdowns and stuff, when that's all working, they're a very hard team to stop the Cowboys. Um, and the, the 49ers found a way to keep the kind of the, the lid on that particular kind of pot um, for most of this game, and even still, it was almost almost enough for the Cowboys to get out of here, out of jail. They didn't deserve to win, but they almost got out uh, and they're in. I mean, yeah, back to square one, a lot of thinking to do for the Cowboys. But for 49ers, don't, don't sleep on them. These guys could do a lot of damage if they keep up this kind of level of performance. I think it's funnier because the Dallas Cowboys are actually a real <laughs> and, it's, and all that talent is going to go to waste under Mike McCarthy uh, and this Jerry Jones organization. Yeah. No. Next up, Pittsburgh at Kansas City, 21-42. This was a very sleepy, sloppy game to start. Eight punts of the Kansas City interception that eventually ended up with the TJ Watt fumble six. Uh, But we all know how this one plays out, lads. All you need to do to get, you know, playoff Kansas City back on the road is to let us be behind in a playoff game. Um, Mahomes woke up and scored 35 unanswered points. Uh, He ended up going for 404 yards, five touchdowns, and that interception you mentioned. Uh, McKinnon got the running game going, 142 yards and a touchdown. Kelsey over 100 and a touchdown. Uh, The offense was just running over over this this defense. There was an awful lot more of actually the run game in it, which was good to see. Ben didn't really get anything going in this game at all for his retirement. 215 yards, two touchdowns, but all of the all of that came kind of very late in the game when they were way out of touch and the the Chiefs defense were just playing very soft in garbage time. Um, like this was there, there, there was there was 
good plays from the Kansas City defense as well in things like um, the Willie Gay uh, kind of uh, forced fumble that was then collected uh, by the other uh, by the other linebacker. It was it was a decent performance and very like very slow to start, which I didn't like. But as soon as they woke up, they absolutely tore the fucking arse off them, uh, and then they went back to sleep. But hopefully not fully to sleep because I think if they're to succeed next week, they're going to need to wake up very 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 quickly and be on for the whole game and not just for kind of two quarters. I believe this now means that they hold the record for the fastest slew of points scored because I think Mahomes scored five touchdowns in a in eleven in-game minutes or something along those lines which the second place is 25 minutes so it's a big 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 jump but uh, look nice to see Kansas City warm up this is the performance you'd like to see against a Pittsburgh team that similar to the criticisms I've had about other ones Pittsburgh are not a team that should have been in this playoffs Uh, this is not a real playoff game at all it's a good defense but like not a good enough defense to keep that offense in play at all so decent from Kansas City Pittsburgh crumbling like you'd expect them to crumble um i'm not sure how much more to take out of this game really yeah not an awful lot to say about the game other than the steelers aren't good enough and of all the the 14 playoff teams they are by far the worst uh, of them all in terms of the actual quality their defense kept them in the game as long as they could but as soon as the, the Casey offense got going, once Kelsey started getting to his groove, and once McKinnon kind of showed that there's there's depth there in that running game, I mean, once Kansas City scored even two touchdowns, never mind five, I mean, the Steelers were done, right? This is not a team that scores points. Um, the, the Steelers just couldn't get anything going offensively, and this game uh, was over. So not an awful lot to analyze, other than to, to kind of condemn the, the, the fawning over Roethlisberger at the end. We got a good quarter and a half of Ben chat, about his competitiveness and how great he is and Michaels and Consworth going over the old memories of all that those times that Ben was great and it was just getting really nauseating by the end and kind of hard to, to listen to. I mean, all I've got to say is good riddance, Ben. You're a terrible human. And even in the standards of just considering you as a quarterback, you've been a pretty damn mediocre quarterback for a large number of years. So I don't think the NFL is going to miss you in, in any way, shape or form anymore. And I just wish the NFL had more backbone um, when it comes to these kind of situations and not being willing to just fall into the, the default of, of kind of falling over the, the great QB, despite the fact that he's a pretty shitty human being. Yeah, I don't really have much else to say except... Uh... This could have been the fucking Chargers against the Chiefs. We could have had a fucking epic game. <laughs> yeah. Or the Chargers against someone else, and it would have oh, been it epic been, it game. Been, it would, well, it would, it would have been Chiefs-Raiders, so it probably wouldn't yeah. have been a very It would have been game. as much of a it blowout, would've... yeah. Well, well so, to be honest, to be honest the P- Pittsburgh scored more in this game than the Chargers. The, the Raiders <laughs> did in both of their games against us. Yeah, and the Chiefs <laughs> and the Raiders have had some fun games down the years as well. So yeah, it would have been that something like this game didn't exist for a quarter. Like no. Pittsburgh managed to turn it into the kind of awful games that they've been playing for what feels like, you know, two years, three years at this fucking point. Um, they got that fumble six, and as you said, Mahomes just went absolutely crazy on them. Um, with the help of McKinnon in the run game, It'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what the mix between him, Williams, and Ceh will be going forward. Because obviously Williams will be one week healthier, hopefully, and Ceh they hope to get back next week. So. Mm-hmm. Um, something to keep an eye on there but obviously we know that you know if you're going to shut down KC you need to shut down Kelsey you need to shut down Hill and in this case they failed to shut down Kelsey uh, Hill was kept relatively quiet I don't know is there any concerns there that he's still carrying a knock there Connor I don't know how you felt uh, after that game I, I don't know I like there was moments where they kind of got them all in use so I think it might have just been a kind of an Andy Reid 
let's spread the ball around and oh, not yeah. have anyone have to do stuff. Because like, because the thing is like, it established players who I've, I think I've said earlier in the season to just keep an eye on of like Pringle is very quickly established himself as a very safe set of hands. He's a very good catch percentage. He just doesn't get thrown out very often. Um, so, but he had like two touchdowns in this game. It's good to get those kind of ones in there. We even had Travis Kelsey throwing a touchdown. So, like you know, we're, we're they're having fun with it at least. Um, yeah, they got the they got the offensive lineman a, a touchdown as well. Yeah, yeah, Allegretti. Yeah, Nick uh, Allegretti. But yeah, but like. I said last week the Steelers are, are dog shit and that uh, Ben Big Ben is dog shit and that what we got from the Steelers like TJ Watt is a stud everything else about that team you can basically throw off a cliff and forget this season completely um, but yeah like they've lived out of the playoffs and yeah just fuck you to the Ravens and the Colts and all the other teams who made us have to uh, watch this game yeah no uh... yeah this is Carson Wentz's fault ultimately yeah 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 it is uh <laughs> Next up, Arizona at the Rams, eleven to thirty-four. Oof. Um, Arizona weren't really at the races here at all. Kyler went for one hundred and forty-three, two interceptions, including a really awful pick-six where he like was spinning around his own end zone, decided to just launch it, and it was just terrible, absolutely terrible. The LA Rams defense got into fucking gear in this one two interceptions two sacks three tackles for a loss allowing less than 200 yards Arizona was held scoreless until the third quarter um, the Arizona defense didn't really do much at all I think they had one sack and that was it uh, Stafford didn't really have to do that much in the game he had a couple of nice throws 202 yards and two touchdowns but this rush game it didn't it, it's production per rush wasn't phenomenal but it just was able to just keep chugging along and not get stopped uh, 22 for 118 uh, and they were just able to protect and build on their early first half lead, the the O to twenty one that they were at at that point. Um, I I honestly I don't I don't know how it escaped me. That this was Stafford's first postseason win. I presumed that they had just won a shitty wild card at some point when like Megatron was around or something. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's. It's very hard to to, 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 to to judge this because we said coming into this that there was a chance that Arizona were just too battered and broken to put anything up and they just didn't really put anything together in this at all. Um, the, the, the Rams defense looked good, but we've seen this happen in Arizona games this season where their lines maybe not the best. They don't have the run support that they were looking for. And... Like they they were just pushed around by these guys. Donald, outside of the choking fight he was deciding to have with someone who was dominant in this game, we saw Von Miller actually show up, got his got a sack off the edge, um, was harassing quarterback throughout. It was it was a very good performance from them. But again, it's against a team that I'm not sure exactly how to rate. Like if I saw this matchup in a regular season game, I would just presume that the Rams were someone who's going to the playoffs and Arizona were not. Um, like, like we, we shot on the, the Cowboys like a few moments ago for having a bad plan and executing it badly, but at least they had a plan. Whereas the Cardinals didn't seem to have any idea yeah. what they were doing there, what their plan was, what the Rams are good at. They just seemed to kind of get off the bus sleepwalk onto the field and then get their absolute heads blown off by a team um, coached by a, obviously a coach I don't particularly like and he is an added like there's something about him I just, like McVay isn't the easiest guy to like but um, you know they're obviously a well coached team he obviously has a lot of pays a lot of attention to what's needed to win football games whereas this Arizona team under Cliff Kingsbury yeah like the chaos worked for the first half of the season they looked like one of the most fun uh, dominant teams in the league but for this last well two nearly like two months or so at this point 
they just look like a team that's run out of ideas. I don't know if the uh, I don't know if the the, the, the the playbook is literally run out of pages or if it's just the case that, you know, the pages were all just filled with Kyler Murray, just do something please. And in this game, like Kyler Murray, you know, was trying to do things but it just looked like he didn't know what he was supposed to do. Without DeAndre Hopkins out there, obviously he's kind of missing his, you know, default, like, throw it up, like, 50-50 ball option. And when you're relying on guys like Christian Kirk and AJ Green, like, those guys just aren't going to win in man-to-man coverage. Like, I was saying last week, like, who's going to actually get covered by <laughs> by uh, Jalen Ramsey? Because there's no one there that you have to be afraid of, and so it proved to be. And, yeah, like, James Conner got his uh, obligatory uh, touchdown, but overall looked pretty mediocre, and the run game overall was just pretty mediocre and Kyler wasn't getting out of the pocket and running at all and yeah I think when you look when you think about the Arizona offense for the last month or so that pick six um, where he's basically trying to run around and do stuff in his own end zone and then throwing a no-look pass kind of off his like while he's falling down that very much is emblematic of where this team has been and so what we like we thought maybe you know they'd save something or maybe they were turning things around or maybe they'd have something when they go into the playoffs but no zero points in the first half and then they got a few things in garbage time but overall this team was as listless as pointless and as out of and without any direction as they have been for feels like way too long and on the other side the rams like I've said in, pre- in, re- in recent weeks that they should just run the ball more, play more controlled football, and in this case, they were basically invited to do so, and they were happy to do so. Like, Michelle and Akers, and neither of them were spectacular, but they were more than solid, and they especially ground out the game in the second half, and Cooper Cup got his obligatory, like, touchdown. Odell Beckham had a couple of splash plays, but Matthew Stafford was basically operating on cruise control and I'm sure when he got traded to the Rams this is exactly the kind of uh, situation he was hoping to end up by going from the Lions where he's expected to do everything to the Rams a team that's actually got talent and has actually got things going for it uh, he probably won't get this same kind of easy ride going forward but hey I'm sure he was glad to have at least one playoff career game in his career that's like this um, and yeah the defense I think is probably the x-factor for this team I think they're coming together certainly in the last few weeks and Von Miller I think the thing that stands up for Von Miller isn't just the sacks have come back but He's actually been really good at racking up those tackles for a loss and really improving their their game against the run. Um, so their defense against the run. So I think that could be a really good factor against some of these other teams they face, especially Tampa Bay, who I think might want to rely on that going forward. But yeah, like the Rams, I'm not quite sold on them yet because this seemed like an easy win. But uh, they've shown enough to at least be given consideration going forward that maybe uh, that they shouldn't be discounted as an NFC contender just yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed by the Rams here. I mean, I obviously the Cardinals have, have fallen off a cliff. And I mean, aside from the, the coaching issues and the, the no D-hop, I did think they maybe were blinded by the lights that the, especially Kyler, I think there was nerves there. Both his interceptions were, were quite bad mistakes. They were kind of Carson Wentz style, trying to force things in very dangerous spots and it ending predictably badly. Um, so, I mean, I, obviously the Cardinals weren't living up to what we thought they could be, but that still, this still was a quite a comfortable and impressive win by the Rams against what is a, a pretty good team. And there was kind of, there was, the parts that are coming together makes it quite interesting. It's not, it, it's obviously people like Von Miller, but it's also people like OBJ starting to look happier and more productive. They've got Cam Akers back, you know, they, they Cooper Cup, but he can also be the kind of the decoy or the blocker type. I mean, they've, they've got schemes in which they can maximize the fact that Cup is so good now that he attracts all this attention. Stafford realizes that if he can avoid mistakes, he's actually quite an effective quarterback. And as long as he doesn't do anything stupid, the team 
should be fine. The defense getting dominant, you know, Aaron Donald in the mood. It's all started starting to come together for this team. They've even got a fan base, which is an amazing thing to see that they finally, now they're winning playoff games. Suddenly the Ram, the, the stadium is full of Rams fans cheering every play, which we haven't heard at all uh, this year, which is uh, says a lot about LA residents, but we won't go into that uh, too much. But um, how far can this team go? It's going to be interesting. The question is, are they just a momentum team, a fair weather team that when it all comes together, look very impressive. But the first team that comes along and challenges them, i.e. Uh, next week against the Bucs, then it all falls to pieces. Now, what's interesting about this is that the, the Bucs are the one good team the Rams has actually beaten this season. They're the one team that they looked impressive with. Now, admittedly, that was way back in, in week three or four when the kind of season was kind of still developing and, and no, one, no, no team had really fully developed themselves. But, I mean, it does show that the Rams can beat good teams. And if they can win next week, um, suddenly they're in a very interesting position where you know they're they're one win away from having a kind of a home field Super Bowl and the the team is playing at a high level and everything's going to come together. So if they can keep this momentum going, they could be hard to stop because of the level of talent. But you do wonder what will happen if they start things start to go badly. If they get say a couple of bad ref calls or a couple of mistakes by Stafford, it could suddenly start to unravel very quickly because you do feel this team is built upon a very shallow base of confidence and once that confidence goes they start to make lots of mistakes yeah it'll be intriguing to see how they match up because uh i suppose we're going to move over now and have a look at next week's matches but uh that's that that's the thing it's where do the strengths line up with the weaknesses of the other teams let's go and have a look at the divisional round games Okay, so first up, we have Cincinnati Bengals taking on the Tennessee Titans. The Titans, obviously, coming off the bye week. They are announcing that they are expected to have 22 of 22 starters back playing. So they will be back up to full force. Although, that said, a few of them coming off injury might be cold coming into the game. Uh, The return of King Henry is obviously the big statement here for them in this. Whereas Cincinnati, having kind of edged out against the Raiders in as we discussed earlier maybe less impressively than we might have maybe hoped to have seen but coming off an incredibly incredibly hot uh december january period um burrow i think hasn't thrown a pick in his last four or five games and in the period he's thrown 13 or 14 touchdowns uh their offense is looking very good we mentioned there's some defensive line worries for them here as well but we've all decided to go for cincinnati across the board so do we are we reckoning that that Henry coming in cold isn't going to be as good as uh, I suppose normally his late season form comes on the back of playing himself into form. This feels like a pick that certainly I was making on a preference basis. I think it will be a close game. I think both these teams have very things that you could definitely be very in favor of and things that you know maybe you could be more questionable about. But I'm like basically going like, okay, who do I actually want to see play? Um, in the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl, and it would by a million miles be the Cincinnati Bengals because the Cincinnati Bengals have Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is playing with his hair on fire in recent weeks, and last week we saw a different aspect of him, um, where he was playing a much more controlled game. He was taking what was there um, to take down a team that's obviously more limited in the Vegas Raiders. Um, but we know that when the chips are down and they need to go at 100 miles per hour, Joe Burrow is more than happy to engage in that. I don't think there's a you know as I said there's I don't think there's a 50 50 ball he won't throw a fourth down that he wouldn't go for it he is someone who lives uh, for the big moments lives for the big games and I think Cincinnati consistently this year have tended to play their best football in the big games particularly down the back half of the season it seems to be like the games that matter the AFC North rivalries with the old enemies like uh, 
Pittsburgh and Baltimore, that big game against Kansas City. It just seems like a team that revels in that. But I think in Tennessee, they're facing a team who, to a certain extent, feel like the, the like of the teams remaining, the the most neutralizing team, the team that is most has the has has built its identity most around making other teams slow down, making other teams unable to do things because they're keeping the ball away from them. And so, if Tennessee can use their like use the ball well with Derrick Henry, if he comes back and he's Derrick Henry and he can run for his usual things and punish this Cincinnati defense, particularly Larry Ogunjobi out and this defensive line kind of suffering a bit, then that could very easily needs to be a grinding win but like look like a grinding win where Ryan Tadhill throws for like 200 yards and you know AJ Brown has a couple of big plays but other than that it's just very static and their defense which to be fair Tennessee has been much more improved than we expected in the preseason it's just not something that speaks to me man it's just not something that gets me excited <laughs> but like I, I, I am tempted to some extent because like to change it to Tennessee because I think we are disrespecting them as a team there's a reason they're the number yeah. one seed in the AFC they won those big games, game, big games against the other big AFC contenders like Kansas City in the middle of the year. They're now getting back to full health. AJ Brown, since he came back, looks like AJ Brown, the kind of guy, if you get the ball in his hand, he can go for a 70-yard touchdown. We have no idea where Julio Jones is, but that's a huge X factor if Cincinnati choose to focus in on the Henry and AJ Brown axis. Um, if he's obviously left in one-on-one coverage, we know what Julio Jones can do. Um, mm. And we know Ryan Tannehill... Like he was, he's been really bad this year. But in Week 18, we finally saw his best performance, albeit against the Houston Texans. So if he's just back to being 2020 Ryan Tannehill, just an effective play-action quarterback who distributes the ball and avoids mistakes, then Tennessee, yeah, I, I wouldn't take them lightly. So I just want to say, I think this is, I think Tennessee could de- are very much deserve respect. They could definitely win this game. But if you're asking me what I want to happen, Cincinnati all the way. Yeah, I mean, I feel there there are kind of two things that are kind of leaning me towards the Bengals here. The first one is obviously Derrick Henry's return. I mean, I, I I just don't think there are many examples we can think of where a major player has come off a very long injury and has instantly hit the ground running, right? It just doesn't happen, right? It usually takes a game or two for a player just to get back into the swing of things to be dropped right back into a very intense playoff atmosphere against a team that is going to be gunning for him and is, you know, you know, riled up by the momentum of their first playoff win in, in a generation. I mean, I just don't know if Henry's going to be all that effective. And it's going to be some adjustments. Obviously, the Titans offense has had to change a lot in the, in the weeks that he's out. And now they're going to have to change back. And how is that going to work in terms of the dynamics and such like? And if Henry doesn't work out or isn't at the level we expected him, can you trust, can you throw... The, 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 your playoff live onto the, onto the shoulders of Ryan Tannehill and expect him to, to come out um, looking good. Um, I, I question that. I mean, I think Tannehill is better when he's not being asked to, to be the star. And it, it because of where Henry is, that could fall apart him. The second reason is I really, I mean, the Tennessee Titans, they've had some good defensive displays. I mean, the, the Rams game, I remember particularly they had a very good defensive display, but they have one of the worst passing defenses in the league. Like I think they're like 26th or something in the league in terms of pass defense. Now, the Bengals aren't much better, but the difference is the Bengals' offense is really, really good. And if Burrow, and especially if Chase gets going in, against some of these secondary, I mean, the, the Titans, I just don't know if they have the talent to keep up with that and if it does then get into a, a shootout I mean firstly that takes away the Titans ability to maybe rely on the run as much as they wanted to and secondly it, re- it requires Dan Hill to start throwing some touchdown passes neither which is something that they want to do so it's about which team gets to play the game they want to play and I just kind of feel the way things have lined up 
in terms of the way the various units match against each other and the effect of Henry's injury, I think the Bengals are more likely to be able to play the game that they want to play than the Titans are, and therefore that's why I think they're going to win this one. There's yeah. almost a, an interesting sacrilege there that, like, you know, Derrick Henry, if he's coming off cold, like, they've been really effective at running the ball with Dante Foreman and uh, Dottrell Hilliard to a lesser extent. And those guys, like, they're not as punishing as Derrick Henry. They obviously don't play into that, like, January football, punish the other team, break them into submission. But if there's big holes being made by this defensive, like, this offensive line from Tennessee, which they have done in recent weeks, then, you know, are you blocking those guys from getting the big plays that, that might exist there, that Derrick Henry might get in the fourth quarter, but wouldn't be doing in the first quarter? But, like, like I'm saying that, and then I'm remembering it's Derrick Henry. He's going to make me look like a fucking idiot for just even thinking that <laughs> yeah yeah no um the thing is I, I just got flashbacks to like when the Chiefs played the Titans and like this Cincinnati team's offense has a lot of feel of that kind of very good Chiefs offense of two three years ago that like that if they can get up a score to the Tennessee's game plan falls apart that it you know it could get away from them that way but we'll see we'll see they're 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 you know, a bit more experienced now. Maybe, maybe you know, as you said, we are just massively discounting them where we really shouldn't. Uh, next up, San Francisco at Green Bay. Um, gone for Green Bay across the board here. They're coming in again off the bye. Uh, I think we all, we've discussed quite uh, quite a length on this show uh, previously about how good we think this Green Bay team is. Um, how Rodgers is playing incredibly. How they've got a good balance with the run game to back them up. That the defense is playing pretty well. Uh, but also that... You know, it's well noted that we all seem to have an opinion of them, which I think is fairly stated that they don't seem to have the strongest of backbones. That's fair, and obviously, I think the San Francisco team is actually fairly well placed to um, take advantage of those issues. Like they have a good defensive line, particularly if Bosa plays, to get Aaron Rodgers under the heat and make him annoyed. Um, which usually is a good thing for them, but when he's under, he's annoyed because he's under too much pressure in the pocket. Uh, oftentimes, that ends up being problematic for him. Like no quarterback can survive a really, really good pass rush, and we saw that from Dak Prescott. And while Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott, um, he's not immune from such issues. And of course, San Francisco are very good when they're playing well at keep playing keep away, and you know having these long. Uh, systematic drives, running the ball really well with Elijah Mitchell, getting those yards after the catch that frustrate defenders so much with Debo and Ayuk and Kittle, and you know just being a really tough team to play. And we saw that um, from the for like the first three quarters of that Dallas game. Um, but the reason why I would be concerned for San Francisco is that. Like, while Dallas wasn't able to take advantage of it, I do think that secondary is still a huge weakness. And I think Green Bay with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, there's just no one on that secondary you're going, can stop Devontae Adams. And if that happens, if Green Bay can get that connection going, it's very hard to see where you can go from that. And I also think um, that Green Bay have the, you know, running back tandem and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon that they, if they need to play grinding football in, in Lambeau Field, if they need to play it a bit close to the chest, that they have invested the resources to be able to play that type of game. Um, on the defensive side, Green Bay, uh, they get they get J.R. Alexander back uh, from injury, which could be huge. I think back the Aries also on the offensive line, that could also be significant. But I think if J.R. Alexander comes back and plays like J.R. Alexander that's a huge fill up for them because he's such a huge influence in that secondary although 
I don't think San Francisco necessarily play into his strengths in terms of having like a, a bona fide wide receiver 50-50 type uh, uh, guy as their kind of lead uh, thing. But I think for them, the major thing is just get Jimmy G under pressure. Don't give him uh, the ability to make easy catches uh, you know, near the line of scrimmage, especially across the middle of the field, and force him to beat you deep effectively. And that's a really good template. I think you know Joe Barry has shown enough this year that he, he should perhaps be able to get that done. Um, but like, look, I think San Francisco have earned respect based on the game last week but you know that last quarter and just those weaknesses that definitely exist in their roster compared to say the San Francisco roster that robbed the the uh, Green Bay Packers a couple of years ago yeah it's hard to pick against Green Bay in, in this particular spot yeah I mean uh, there is a part of me and maybe it's a sentimental part or maybe a part that was watching that Cowboys game and going god I actually really like watching this Niners team and I, and I think they've got a really good thing going on that, that there's a part of me that says they're going to win this game but it's, I mean, maybe it's just that I don't want Aaron Rodgers to succeed, that maybe this season with his various COVID shenanigans and, and you know, the, the big Lebowski styles, you know, personality stuff kind of grates on me that I don't want him to win. That it's kind of got me going against him because the problem is the Packers are a really, really good team. And, and we know that, right, that they, they've got a, a quarterback playing at, at the peak of his powers. They've got offensive stars who are producing things. They've got a, a good defense that kind of balances kind of good run defense and good uh, pass defense. They've, they've kind of got the whole package and they've been playing quite well for five or six weeks. And so, uh, you know, with the Niners, especially if they don't have their defensive stars playing 100%, especially with, I mean, on the offensive side, you mean, do you trust Jimmy G in, in kind of a tight scenario not to make another mistake? And will they get away with this time? There's just there, there's probably just a couple of too many question marks over this 49ers team to say that they're, I can kind of I can give them my vote, but I do think it's going to be a tight game. I think the Niners will have a game plan. They'll try and control the clock. They'll try and take the ball away from Rodgers as much as possible. Defensively, they'll try and pressure. They'll try and force Rodgers to move a lot. And okay, he's looking fine in terms of mobility and the toe injury and whatever. But I mean, ultimately, that that the plan must be to to get him off his groove, um, somewhat, which is going to be a lot harder to do with Rodgers than it was someone like Dak Prescott. So I think they'll have a game plan, and I think there's a way you could see them winning. But when it, when the chips are down, who do you trust? And ultimately, you have to say you trust Aaron Rodgers to get things done because it looks like he is going to single-handedly win the Super Bowl if he has to, the way things are going. Uh, and he's not going to let anyone stop him. Uh, and the rest of the team seem quite willing to, to do all that's necessary to get that going. So I think when the chips are down and in playoff situations – who do you want the ball in the hands of? And I think you want the ball in the hands of Aaron Rodgers, and that's why I think that the Packers are going to have just enough to, to win this one. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm sitting on it as well. Like I, I can see how this San Fran team is set up to deliver the type of performance that could frustrate and cause issues for Green Bay. Like we said, if there's not a if there's not a strong backbone to their defense, the kind of the fact that they can send out four wide receivers who will all be able to like block effectively downfield and just kind of try and essentially out physical you like this is the kind of setup that if schemed right could cause issues for green bay but as you said it's hard to look past rogers just absolutely crushing it himself from uh i don't think this is a big enough uh you know scene a big enough uh, scale for aaron Rodgers to go out just yet i think he needs a bigger a bigger stage to finally get it to come up and <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, okay, so uh, so those ones with the with the with the one seeds were unanimously going against the AFC one seed, were unanimously going for 
the uh, NFC one seed. And now we start to get into where we're split on games. So next up, the Rams are taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, myself and Sean have gone for the Rams, and, Sh- and Ronan's gone for Tampa Bay. And this will obviously blow up in me and Sean's faces because you never kind of touch down Tom. <laughs> um, they are playing very well. As we said, it's very hard to gauge uh, Tampa Bay against their opponent last week as their opponent really shouldn't have been in the playoffs, but they were playing well. But they're shorthanded in a number of positions. And to be honest, for me, the big turning point in this game and why I was hibbing and hawing about who to select here, uh, it is the injury to worse. Because even if he's back playing, he's going to be injured. Uh, They're going to have to hold up against Aaron Donald bringing pressure down the middle and a Von Miller who has been turning back round into looking a little bit like younger Von Miller the last two or three weeks um, and if he's going to be up against Tristan Wirfs on that side pushing in against him he has a bit of history in the playoffs against Tom Brady as well and has quite often found a lot of success against him coming off the edge uh, so I, I I just think that if they can start getting that pressure on them there's consistency in this Rams game their run game is going their their pass game is going their defense has been fantastic particularly with the likes of you know it being okay Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski you've got the quarterbacks to, t- to travel with the number one and then you can focus a lot of the rest of your defense on defending against the number two because there's not a ton of other options in there and you've got a good defensive line that you know we mentioned in the in the reviews frustration from tom whenever everything wasn't perfect on his wide receivers because a lot of them are young i can see this rams defense being the kind of one that can disrupt those roots disrupt those patterns and throw off the the the, the you know the backups that are now playing a lot of those positions and really cause issues for what is essentially a touch timing based uh, passing offense yeah, I mean, there is a part of me that goes, this is a really stupid call because Tom yeah. Brady is, is going <laughs> to crush him. But yeah. at the same time, the Rams, I mean, I feel like I've got I got a backup. I actually, I picked the Rams to, to go all the way at the start of the season and I've never too, wavered actually. from that, no matter how much their season is kind of, their own season has wavered. And I just feel the momentum is coming together. This team is coming together. The, the big stars are beginning to find their place within this team. It's taken a long time for people like OBJ and Von Miller to find their slot. It's taken a long time for Jalen Ramsey to slot into his, his kind of new all-over-the-place role, for Aaron Donald to get up to speed, for Stafford to realize what he can and cannot do. But I think it's all coming together. I think the Rams know who they are as a team and who they are as a very talented team. And if they come with a game plan and they execute it, then you do start to worry about where the book's deficiencies are in terms of that depth, about the fact that they are maybe going to have to rely on Gronk to have a big game, which he probably hasn't had a kind of a on this on this stage a very big game in, in quite a while you're going to have to rely on the on the offensive line holding up um, which it may not do you have to rely on the secondary having a good game which it may not do there's just a lot of question marks over who the books are going to be able to, to put out there and how good they're going to play whereas I just don't have that many question marks about the Rams because it kind of seems like it's coming together but if this was if football was just a game that was played psychologically and it is a game that's played like maybe 40% psychologically, then the, the books, I mean, you know, Tom Brady is Mr. Playoffs. The Rams are kind of a confidence team that if things start to go badly, they could fall apart. There's going to be a lot of pressure, I think, on the books coaching to come up with some sort of game plan to puncture the Rams early uh, and maybe try and get a, a couple of early scores and then force the Rams to kind of to, to, to throw the game plan out the window. And in that situation, you know, I, I, I can see it kind of falling apart quickly. But I just, I, I got to stick with the Rams. I got to I gotta feel like they got to go all the way. These are the kind of games, I mean, it's literally true, but it's also like symbolically true. These are the kind of games you have to win if you want to win the Super Bowl. Um, and I think they finally got the pieces in the right places to do that. So I got to back them. This is the referendum game 
on Matt Stafford after 18 games with the Rams and being very, very up and down. You know, like the Roman Emperor, like my thumb is waggling. And I'm going to do the historically inaccurate thing and I'm going to give him the thumbs down and say that when this game happens, Matt Stafford will be the reason the Rams lose this game. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. Firstly, the Tampa Bay defense, there's one thing it rules really, really well, and that's stop the run. So I think that Tony Michel and Cam Akers will probably not be a big factor in this game. I think the Rams have to run. They will certainly like try to establish the run, but I think you know Vita Vea and Sue will gobble up those guys. Like They haven't really been a great run game. They've been adequate, a bit like the Bills. Like, it's been good enough, but when it comes against a defense like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's not going to work. So that means all of the pressure all of the weight of this offense and the, the narrative around this team will fall upon the shoulders of Matt Stafford. And yeah, I think you're right, Sean. Tampa Bay are going to get frisky. They're going to get exotic. We saw, I think, a preview of that against the uh, Philadelphia Eagles where they were blitzing safeties uh, off the edge and dropping guys like Vita Vea back into coverage, which is just hilarious to see, let's be honest. And I think <laughs> against Matt Stafford, they have will have analyzed every single weakness that he's had, every single bad game that he's had. And what I've seen again and again with this Rams team is that when the game has been put on Matt Stafford's shoulder when he's been forced to drop back um, from shotgun and he's been told okay you we traded all of those resources for you because we say that you're an Aaron Rodgers a Tom Brady an elite quarterback who can lead an offense and not fuck up and too often this season that's what exactly he's done he's fucked the game up nearly lost games to, to like to uh, Minnesota he lost games to San Francisco and I think Tampa Bay with the defense that they have with Todd Bowles someone who is more than happy to light up quarterbacks um, with exotic looks to get them confused he will be happy to take them out there. and I'm sure Sean McVay is trying to like teach like Matt Stafford the entirety of football history in like the next week but it's not going to be enough in my opinion and that will probably be the deciding factor because Yes, you're right. I don't think this Tampa Bay offense is quite where it needs to be. But with touchdown Tom here, they'll do something. They'll probably still get at least like 20-something points very easily into the 30s. Except when they're playing the Saints, of course, because they have the magic hoodoo, um, whatever going on. But except against the Saints, Tampa Bay have looked like an offense that even as the injuries have stacked up, have continued to be able to rack up points. And yes, obviously the Rams defense has Aaron Donald and it has Jalen Ramsey. But the cost of having those guys is that the rest of the guys aren't quite as good. And there is no one as good in good at football as Tom Brady as understanding, analyzing, and ferociously and viciously attacking the, 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 the weaknesses that exist in your defensive scheme, the weaknesses that exist in your defensive personnel. And so, yeah, even if he's under more pressure than he would like, with Torsten Wirfs obviously uh, very likely missing this game, I still think he'll be able to get it done. It's going to be a really close game because of those injuries to Tampa Bay. and They're nowhere near the kind of powerhouse they felt like they were going into uh, the similar round last year. But when the chips are down and you're giving me Tom Brady versus Matt Stafford put into tough situations, I'll take Tom Brady <coughs> 1,000 times out of 1,000. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, as I said, I can totally see us being wrong for counting a touchdown, Tom. But yeah, it feels like the stars are aligning. And finally, uh, late game on Sunday, Buffalo at Kansas City. Arrowhead holds uh, its breath as we see basically the dominating force from last week, the Buffalo Bills coming in. Uh, I've gone for KC, you boys have gone for Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, the Bills have been planning for this game for a year, right? This has been the game 
that you know Sean McDermott has got. This is the game that we're going to have to beat these guys. We're probably going to have to beat them in Arrowhead if we want to go all the way. And even though it's it's probably around earlier than they expected, I mean, I think this effectively is, no offense to the Bengals and Titans, I think this effectively is the AFC Championship game. Whoever wins this game is going to the Super Bowl and has got to be considered a, a pretty good shot of, of going all the way. And the Bills came up just short last year and they, they've definitely got a plan for how to deal with them. I think KC have taken a step back from last year. I mean, offensively, we've seen that they've had troubles in the middle of the season. Their defense had that kind of that that golden period where they were stopping everybody, but they've kind of regressed a little bit again and are giving up points. I mean, they gave up 21 points to a Steelers team that, that hasn't scored points against anybody for the entire season. So I think the Chiefs are not as good as last year. I think the Bills are only now beginning to demonstrate how it's all coming together. I think Josh Allen's playing at a much higher level. I think the defense has the potential to be much better than last year. I think even Stefan Diggs, who hasn't had a great season, is coming together. I mean, I think if you match up the personnel, you, you probably say the Bills are stronger than they were last year. The Chiefs are weaker. The Bills have to have a game plan coming into this. They're going to do the shell stuff. They're going to try and stifle the Chiefs. Um, offensively, and then it's a question of can this Chiefs defense do something to stop Josh Allen, which, I mean, nobody seems to be able to do it in the last few weeks. Uh, I think I think it's going to be close. I think it could be overtime or whatever, but I think the Bills have demonstrated that they're over the psychological blocks of, of the Pats, that they're a team that can win big games. This is the biggest one of them all because they win this one. There's a very good chance they could win it all. Yeah, like I think after beating the Patriots and putting that ghost to bed, uh, both you know historically and obviously given the loss earlier, this is the next big psychological hurdle for the Buffalo Bills to overcome. And I think Sean's entirely right. Like the Bills are a better team this year than they were last year on paper, and based on what I've seen in the last month, I think actually on the field as well. Josh Allen has, I felt, made that second step that he's seeing the game at a, a higher level than he has even when he was like on a torrid run last year um, and had the advantage of kind of schematic uh, innovation, as it were. And they are much more dangerous team and I think this is a game that for me could very easily go down to not the big names not the Stefan Diggs and the Tyreek Hills and the Travis Kelseys because I picked both these teams uh, they, there's enough paper out there from what other defenses have done where they've taken away those X factors um, uh, besides the quarterbacks of course uh, like that they've done enough work that if either of these teams allow um, the, the, the best weapon on the other side to dominate then that's really a, a major negative against them like there's no excuses for that there's certainly no excuse for giving like over 100 yards to Hill and Kelsey like Buffalo did last year in the AFC Championship. So, you know, for me, that means that the secondary guys come into play. And I look at the Buffalo kind of secondary guys, like Gabriel Davis has been actually sneakily quite interesting, particularly in the red zone. Isaiah McKenzie has made a number of like, inter- like decent plays in this like run that they've had late on in the year. Um, as they kind of de-emphasize the kind of safe but ultimately capped potential of someone like Cole Beasley with guys who have much more upside, much more explosive, much more uh, ability to kind of challenge the offenses, not over, not only underneath but also over the top. And of course that big thing which Sean you know, thankfully brought up after I got you know, way too wet over uh, Josh Allen for, for 10 minutes, um, like Jevin Singletary, they've given the ball to him, they decided that he's their number one back and they're going to trust him and they're going to feed him the ball and we're seeing him get like 80 yards consistently on about 15 to 20 carries not amazing but more than enough to keep defenses in check to keep Spagnolo from blitzing whatever he wants and therefore giving Josh Allen the space that he needs to keep showing off how good Josh Allen is so 
Josh Allen, I think, is obviously the key for the Buffalo Bills. He's been the key for turning this entire season around, and he's obviously the number one thing that the Chiefs have to do. I don't think you can play man coverage against these guys. I don't think you should, because Josh Allen will just eat that up all day. So we'll see a lot of zone um, from this team, from Kansas City, which is not what they're quite comfortable with, because that doesn't quite go with the kind of heavy, aggressive blitzing that we know Spagnola likes to go. So there's a there's definitely a, an issue here where Josh Allen might just simply be very hard to scheme against at this point as a defensive coordinator. So to see what Spags does there but like look on the other hand like look Kansas City they haven't been quite the same offense as they were they've evolved they've changed into a much more systematic um some might say traditional offense uh, they spread the ball around more they've they've started going for underneath stuff and they've started running the ball more effectively they've gone through a similar it feels like evolution as the Buffalo Bills have somewhat had but they, they do seem to have lost um, the explosive element. Like, Patrick Holmes is able to run, but he's not quite the kind of Josh Allen, like, uh, thundering kind of uh, Buffalo type of uh, situation. Um, but he has been very effective in that. So Kansas City feel like a really good team. Uh, they've been really effective. And certainly, there's no reason why you couldn't pick them in this game. But I think, yeah, Buffalo, you know, if you're talking about the secondary guys, I've seen more from Gabriel Davis, Isaac McKenzie, and Singletary. Uh, the run game from Kansas City is fine, but, like, Byron Pinkle has looked okay. You know, I'm just like I'm just edging it towards Buffalo right now. If it comes down to where these teams shut down the things that they should shut down, and it comes down to what can the guy, like the quarterback and the secondary guys, do um, when given the opportunity. And I think yeah. Buffalo's defense, obviously, I, I do think is a better matchup as well. I think it's just a more talented group, and has shown more for me um, in terms of uh, the recent weeks as well. Maybe I think everyone is getting too caught up in this victory over a Patriots team that they've played for the third time and they should know inside out uh, is the main thing. This Bills team haven't been putting up points on offense. They crushed the Patriots, but sub 30 against the Jets, the Falcons, the just about over 30 against the Patriots, 30 against the Panthers, less than 30 against the Bucks, 10 against the Patriots in the early game. Like, they haven't actually been putting up that many points, whereas the Chiefs have been putting up an awful lot of points against significantly tougher defences than those boys have been facing. I think the Chiefs' defence... I don't really take the point that they've fallen off. Like, they still shut down an awful lot of the teams. I don't think they're as good as they were during that immediate run, but there is, like... But like they they they've held the majority of the teams that they've played to to to, to minimal points uh, for, for most of them, with one or two exceptions like the Bengals, like big playoff teams. So I think I think the Bills will be able to move the ball in them, but I don't buy that that the Bills' defense is a million times better because they've allowed more points to shittier teams as well during the period. I think the key is just that whether or not they can play on the big stage. Chiefs are at home. They've had their big warm-up game against a Pittsburgh, much-vaunted Pittsburgh defense. Uh, they're ready to go, and at Buffalo have to travel all the way across to them. I think that is a massive advantage for, for, for the Chiefs in this game. And I get I get what you mean about it's going to be secondary players, but that's what I like about what they've been doing is that now they have Pringle, now they have a lot more coming out of the run game, now they've got an awful lot more bits of his... The linebacker situation is better than it was mid-season. Like, I think this could be a very close game and I could definitely see good, yeah. yeah and I, and I could I could see and to be honest like Gaze only knocked the ball out the last day like he, they're, they're both playing pretty well but I could see this Buffalo team coming in and dominating if we just come in with a really arseways defensive plan from Spags to deal with them but realistically I don't know if I don't know if this Buffalo team can put up the points if the if they get into a into a foot race because the only game where they put up that points was against a Patriots team last week who looked massively out of sorts against them and they've played them so many times they'd fucking want to be able to. 
Well, I think you are you are playing with the stats a little bit because obviously you're saying they had less than 30 in those games, but they literally had like 27 and 29. Like you know, it's within the <laughs> the margin of error, one might say. And like yeah, they're bad defenses in Falcons and Jets and stuff like that. And yeah, we are to a certain extent like they haven't faced those huge challenges uh, that they have uh, since that New England loss and, and the loss to the Colts in the middle of the season. Um, and they have had one or two bad games, particularly like the Jags game in the middle of the season. But I just think like it, it like. It's, it's going off field to a certain extent, but it did feel like there was a turning point for this Buffalo offense in that second half against Tampa Bay where their comeback came up short and that they have been uh, very uh, effective since then, um, except for, yeah, the Jets game wasn't great, but it kind of felt like, a, uh, you know, it just kind of won those situations because of it awry. I think the cat, like, I think, the, I think the best thing about this game is that thing because I don't think either of these teams like if you said this was going to be uh, an AFC chat fight um, this time last year you would have known what to expect whereas based on what we've seen this season from both teams they've evolved so much they've had to change um, their offensive mindset so much in response to the huge uh, shift in defenses uh, due to the Brandon Staley defense and the too high shell and stuff like that and the evolution that these uh, the journey these offenses have taken to get to here and to evolve and where these two guys you know they're still explosive we know that if any given day they could still do their like 40 50 uh, uh, you know points type of things but they're much more mature quarterbacks they're much more mature offenses and both defenses have had moments where they've looked really really good and some games where they've looked really really mediocre even bad um, so yeah to be honest it's really hard to pick this game but I'm really excited to see these teams even if it's not quite I don't think going to be like the show-stopping like 50 yeah, point yeah. Uh, each type of game it might have been expected to be last year. Oh, but I, I'd 100% be expecting kind of like a Chargers-Chiefs three weeks ago kind of level of just really enjoyable mm-hmm. two very good teams. Like, I've got the Monday booked off work. Like, I'm definitely sitting up to watch it. Um, like, yeah, no, I mean, like I think the it's going to be the best game yeah. of the weekend in terms of yeah. in terms of just the quality of it. The two, be- two best teams in terms of the quality. Um, no other game can has, has two teams this good in it and yeah, I really think whoever wins this, I mean, aside from the Packers, there's a really good chance of winning this. Well, and the Rams, because I picked them. So never mind, never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have yeah, a really good chance of making the Super Bowl. Yes, they, yeah. except for all the other teams, they have a very good chance of winning, yes. Yeah, uh, but no, uh, Sony, any other crack of yourselves to the rest of the week, lads, or the weekend? Uh, yeah, not really. It's still January, quiet. Um, I mean, it depends on what, you know, if they let us party again if the government decides to, to take away the shackles or whatever but uh yeah it's 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 generally is always a quiet one i mean if it wasn't for the nfl playoffs there'd be very little to do in january at all yeah yeah uh, it must be said what about yourself it's yeah pretty pretty similar probably keeping it quiet and yeah just yeah looking forward to some good football i think like last week bit of a you know some some interesting games some fun games but nothing really that blew your mind uh, this week, I think we could get some really, really high-quality playoff-level football. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited for the football on Sunday. Played a bit of D&D one of the days, but that's about it. Uh, just kind of strapping in and just getting ready to watch this Kansas City-Buffalo game because I think it's going to be serious, serious fucking crack. Um, but I suppose for now, it'll wrap us up for this week. So uh, for now, it's uh, bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Thanks for listening, and we will chat to you next week.